pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 67. Today we're going to chat with Tatiana Whitlock, make a prank call about Regina's gun modeling, and ask the question, are 1911s great for beginners? Today's panel is Sean Heron and I'm Ava Flanell. And I'm having a really good hair day today, I would like to say. Uh, it's the other 99,999 that aren't doing so well. Yeah, actually, I was going to say your hair looks a little different. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I know. Okay, great. So, yeah, okay. Just cut it out. I, ju- I just Googled how many hairs does a person have on their head. And I thought there would be a fun fact for people to get. It's 100,000 if you if you, if it wasn't clear. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that is pretty nuts. You have a lot less because you shed like a dog. But. Yeah, I was just going to say, I'm like, I'm pretty sure like most of my hairs are on the floor, on the floor, clothes. in my clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. All right. Good stuff. Let's talk about Manticore Arms. What'd you have for us today, Ava? Their triangle stock. Yeah. I love their triangle stock. I love the way that it looks on AKs. Yeah. It's kind of that nice classic look. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, I mean, I, I absolutely, I have one on my AK. I absolutely love the way that it feels like it looks like it would be uncomfortable, but I mean, we both, we've both shot it before and like, it's not uncomfortable. It's an AK. I mean, the uncomfortable is kind of part of the proposition. Yeah. But I mean, most people look at the stock and think that it looks uncomfortable and it's not. No, it, it was totally fine. I like them. And I'm trying to look up the price real quick. So one twelve ninety five is what those go for. And their triangle stocks actually fit a lot of different stuff. If you go to their website, manicorearms.com, it actually has a list of all the stuff. And the cool part about it is you can get a Stormworks hinge, put that on it as well. And now you've got a nice folder for your AK. Exactly. And if you use the code gunfunny15, you get 15% off. All right. Very cool. Let's get into the show. Things you never knew on deconstructing the industry. Well, Tatiana, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. So, for the people who don't know, can you just tell us kind of who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, short story is that most importantly, I'm a mother of two, and I like to consider myself a firearms educator as as much as I am a student of all of the firearms uh, disciplines. I'm trying to branch into competition stuff, which I'll pick your brains over later. But primarily, I live in the self-defense world and the home defense world. I'm national director of training for A Girl and a Gun. I'm director of training for Howell's Gun Shop in Gray, Maine. I'm also the COO and creative director at Gap Marketing and host on Trigger Time TV, co-host of the Weaponized Women on the Lock and Load radio show. And then I do a lot of writing for a variety of different publications, and I represent a number of phenomenal brands. Wow. No wonder it took so long to get you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) You're a busy woman. Uh, She she actually remarked before the show, she's like, Tatiana seems like she is very, very, very busy. (laughs) Yeah. No dust on these boots. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. So how did you get into the firearm industry? It was a total, I wouldn't say accident, but a curveball that every now and then life throws at you. My background is in fine art and injection molding, plastics, and industrial design. That's where I spent my entire childhood and uh, early professional career. Um, So quite a few um, family patents. I'm the family slacker. I only have between 12 and 14. I'm not quite sure. Everybody else has 
roughly 100 plus collectively, about 300, I believe. So I'll catch up someday. But I took a little bit of a a divergent path when my son is now eight. So seven years ago, um, my now ex-husband prompted me to get a hobby, you know, something that was for me. Mm-hmm. We had two little infants at home. They're 16 months apart. You know, I was speed reloading diapers like crazy. <laughs> Mag change diapers was nuts. Dueling diaper genies. And so that prompt to do something that was for me, that was for myself, made me really want to go do something out of my wheelhouse, something really no one else in my family could relate to or have an opinion about. So we, well, firearms weren't necessarily something that wasn't a part of our life. We were duck hunters, you know, weekend warrior gentlemanly hunters uh, for a short spell when I was a child, I wouldn't say that firearms were something our family was very familiar with. And I wanted to recreate that hunting experience with my heroes, with my dad and my older brother. So in order to do that, I needed to know what to do with a gun. So I signed up for a woman on target clinic. And that was it. I was sold hook, line and sinker. I had no idea what the firearms industry was about. I didn't know there was competition options. I didn't know the self-defense options. All I knew in that one eight hour day in the backwoods of Maine at the North Brewer Grodden Gun Club with all those wonderful gentlemen that had those phenomenal handlebar mustaches and those giant long beards that are white that go down to their belt buckle and their orange vests and their trucker caps. Gosh, I love those guys. Um, was that I loved it and I needed to I needed to make this my world. So I studied as hard as I could and still do with instructors all over the country and just pursued that passion. It snowballed um, from being a student into being an instructor and into being somebody who's now kind of influencing curriculum that reaches thousands of women. And I couldn't be happier. I love this space. Can I just take a, a brief moment? That was an awesome answer. And normally when we interview guests, like uh, I'll, I'll be thinking of, oh, okay, well, there's a branch that I want to follow a little more. Okay. I want some clarification on that. But every time I would think of that, you would literally turn turn that corner, talk about the thing that I was thinking about. So basically you just interviewed yourself and it was awesome. Right. That's what cool. I was saying. I was like, all right, well, my job here is done. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's, let's go hit the bar. <laughs> all right. <laughs> it was perfect. So. Go ahead. We we need to quit saying age, so. age, Yeah, age before beauty, though. <laughs> well, I'm both, so I'll go first. <laughs> it says, I, I noticed somewhere that said you practice kind of martial arts and, and been yes. doing that for a very long time. Tell us about that journey. Sure. When my little brother was five years old, I was 10, and he was getting bullied on the playground. And he was a tiny little wiry little dude, and so he was the smallest kid and getting roughed up. My grandmother wasn't going to have it, and so she pulled up at our driveway and stormed into the kitchen with a newspaper clipping about a local dojo that had children's programs. And she informed my mother that she had signed my little brother up. So I spent the first couple of weeks going and watching my little brother in this martial arts environment. It was a Shaolin Kempo dojo. We had an incredible sensei. And I was this child that was so shy. They thought you had a learning disability. I was that shy, but I whispered into my mom's ear that I, I think I might like to try that. And she signed me up so fast, I didn't have a chance to change my mind. And for the next 10 years, I studied Shaolin Kempo and achieved a black belt going prior to going to college, which unfortunately I was, I did have to utilize some of that knowledge while I was there. And then continued to study. I did a, a very short stint in Aikido. I tried a number of other disciplines, some Muay Thai, some boxing. And I ended uh, studying some Krav Maga, which I'm still in love with, and all of the disciplines that are out there for their arts and for their defensive sides. It's, it's just a fascinating practice and a very natural one to translate into the shooting 
disciplines. Yeah. I'm not asking for details, but you said you actually used it, which kind of brings me to my my question about effective martial arts and things like that. Like a lot of them are are beautiful and katas and forms and things like that. And others are, you know, just get the job done, do the thing. When you found yourself using that, can you just kind of describe what, which, which of the martial arts did you get the most? I don't know. Which one did you use the most during the time when you actually had to physically use martial arts against another person? Sure. Um, Well, it was in college. So the discipline that I had sunk my teeth into for the longest period of time was in Shaolin Kempo. And I found it fascinating that uh, once the dust settled and you realized that, okay, you're okay and everybody's okay except that guy and he doesn't need to be okay because he's (laughs) not a nice guy. And um, I'm okay with that. But that there was probably about 2% of what I actually had to utilize from what everything that I had learned that was there, that was now a part of me that I was able to utilize for this. And it wasn't pretty and it was pretty direct and pretty rough, but I had that and I had to use it. And so when I went in to start doing uh, that really resonated with me, you know, of all of the stuff, quote unquote stuff that I knew, mm-hmm. it was really only about 2% that I had to use in that moment. And that, you know, that stuck with me as I've pursued firearms as well, because there is an art to what we do. There is an art to the shooting sports and it's beautiful and it's classic or it's very theatrical, you know, in its mm-hmm. nature. And what is that 2% that exists within the sh- different shooting disciplines from law enforcement to military to competition to you name it, bullseye marksmanship? What's that 2% that I would need to pursue to know that would be what I would end up using to stay alive? And that's really been the course direction I've taken and who I learned from and who I try to pursue for knowledge. Interesting. So what would you say those, that 2%, those parallels are between guns and martial arts? It's an extreme efficiency and it relies in your ability to process information as quickly as you possibly can so that you can make a really solid decision. And there is no room for rehearsal. There's no room for predetermined choreography. You have to be able to interpret and respond. All of these, you know, routine exercises that we do, these, they're almost like choreographed dance routines. They, they may fail you. So your ability to be flexible, to be adaptable, and to be able to think in a manner that you can do that, that results in that 2%. Have you enrolled your kids in any sort of martial arts? Oh, yes, absolutely. They started, they studied um, a little bit of Shaolin Kempo for a bit. Then the class sizes grew to be just unruly. So we're about to re- bring them back into martial arts. There's another dojo. And it's just like training with firearms instructors. You know, you have to find the right fit in the individual that you're learning from in the right environment. And so they'll actually be going back into the martial arts in the next two months. And they're really excited about it. Nice. So how did you get into instruction? It was kind of serendipitous. I'd been at the range enough working on my own stuff. And I had individuals who were starting to approach me at my little backwoods range in southern Maine in the woods and um, asking me for advice and, and help on things. And that turned into, you know, really trying to learn how how to read them as an individual and then give them an answer that they could digest and then apply, not just kind of vomit knowledge all over them. And that technique of having to assess the person and then deliver the right kind of solution resulted in them requesting private lessons, which then turned into private group lessons, which then turned into open enrollment programs. And then as a result of the positive feedback from that, I've had the the honor of being invited to ranges and into communities across the country, which has launched a national training program. Would you say there's more women getting into training these days? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really does come from, you know, at one point I was very anti-women's only programs and, you know, because I grew up being the only woman in a, in a male do- dojo. I was it. I was the only girl for a very long time. So I didn't quite understand why folks needed a women's only. But then here I found myself, the very first class I took was a women's only event where there were 25 other women that were there. And about 10% of those ladies continued on. And then I'd run into the other ones and they would want to come and shoot with me. So it's kind of a birds of a feather thing. Mm -hmm. And women love to shoot within a community. You know, it's a safe place to ask questions. You feel accepted. You feel like you belong in that environment. And, you know, it's, it's a very welcoming learning place and social place. And many of them have very similar life stories. So again, while you feel like you're the only one going through this life event or change, you find very quickly that, you know, no, you can relate to all of these people and, and a seemingly uncomfortable space of a, a gun range becomes a second home and they frequent the range and they come back and we get together. And it's an incredible, incredible way to build a community. And I think that's why we see more women joining because they want to be part of a community and a community where they're learning things that can quite possibly keep them alive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Do you ever get tired of people asking you what it's like being a female in a male-dominated industry? <laughs> I think that's the, the number one question most interviewers ask. That's, and it's it's interesting. If you look at, I think right now I'm one of the very few uh, traveling trainers that happens to be female, but I don't think that that's something that really influences my decision to to do this work. We're seeing more and more women step up to the plate and it's becoming less and less male dominated. It's actually the, you know, the, the ship's starting to right itself. I'm seeing many more women show up to the NRA training instructor programs to become certified so that they can not so much that they're going to go out and be the lead singer of a band, you know, as far as training goes, but that they want to take that personal responsibility to make sure they're they're conducting a basic level of coaching in a safe and structured way. So I'm seeing that ratio start shifting, at least in New England, and I'm very pleased to see that. I'm seeing more chapters of A Girl and a Gun open up nationwide, and it's just snowballing in an incredibly rapid rate, which is telling me that there are more women stepping up into leadership positions that want to run communities and grow a a structured group of people. So while they may not be at the forefront of the press and the media and YouTube uh, boots on the ground, we have many, many more women stepping up to be leaders in our community. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah, that's, I always get that question. That's why, and I was going to ask you, and then I was like, what am I doing? We never ask our male guests, like, what is it like being in the industry? It's awesome, bro. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and and really, I'm like, I feel like we ask all of the females that question, and it's, it's pretty similar to a degree. I don't think that that much is really... Well, you know, I th- I'm excited about what you just said, because eventually, I don't think we're going to need to. Right. I think that so many women are coming in and making a huge impact in this industry that I think that the, our, our days for asking that question to our female guests are numbered. I mm-hmm. really don't think that we'll be doing it very much longer just because uh, this is no longer, well, Tatiana, you mentioned that stereotype of the gentleman with the handlebar mustaches and the white beards and the camo mm-hmm. jackets <laughs> and orange caps and all that. This is, uh, you know, guns are no longer, that's not the impression of society. That's not really what the demographic of, uh, of uh, you know, guns is anymore. And I think that it's changed and I think that it's men and women and, and black people and white people and Chinese people and all this great amalgamation. It's a melting pot. It's the true melting pot uh, of, you know, hobbies and rights in the United States. 
Definitely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. All right. We're talking to Tatiana Whitlock. We're just going to take a brief moment here from our, our advertisers with Hackett Equipment. So today is Cyber Monday, which means Yay. that Tackett Equipment has a 30% off their entire website. That okay, is- well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's a great deal. So um, if you don't get to their website today and you don't have a chance to get 30% off, Tackett Equipment actually gave us a code that now gets you 20% off. So all you have to do is use the code GUNFUNNY20 and that gets you... Like I said, 20% off. Awesome. Hacketequipment.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-T-T equipment.com. Go check it out. And 30% off that is an awesome deal. Absolutely. All right. So we're back with Tatiana Whitlock. Am I saying your name right? I guess I should ask that 47 times yes. ago. Okay, yes, yes, you are. <laughs> Great. You clearly, you're a shooter. You do a lot of shooting. You do a lot of training and stuff. Let's talk about gear. Like what kind of gear do you roll with? Mm, oh, that's all. Well, that's the fun stuff, isn't it? Yes. Let's see. I love, uh, I'm a big believer in agency arms. Full disclosure, I am one of their sponsored agency assets, but I was shooting their stuff and really appreciating their gear well before I was formally associated with the brand. So I love my Glock 19 that they have done up with the urban cut and all the tricked out fun stuff that they do. And it's really hard for me to go back to the normal things after having played with those cool kid gear. And then, so I'll carry that concealed. I will also carry the Glock 43 that they've also tricked out. That's absolutely phenomenal. And then I'm a huge 1911 fan. I'm not specifically a holster junkie of any one brand. G-Code makes phenomenal holsters. Tenacore makes phenomenal holsters. There's a lot of fin- really, really great options out there, but you know that's really dependent on your body type and carry location as to who makes what that's best for you. And, you know, as far as lights and stuff go, I'm a surefire. I, I can't, I have a hard time. I, I just got spoiled early on. So I love my surefires and my in points and my RMRs and Trigicon stuff. So it's a long list. I mean, how long is the show? <laughs> as long as it needs to be. <laughs> All right. right, cool. <laughs> what what brand of 1911s do you like? Um, I love my Nighthawks. You know, I got introduced to Nighthawks as my very first 1911. So it's, it's a first love kind of a thing. Um, I've been to that to the facility and I've worked with them for a number of years. And it's it's really amazing when you get to see a firearm being made right before your eyes and you talk to the gunsmith and they're so passionate about what they do. You know, my background is in fine art. So I I have a, a deep love and appreciation for individuals that are true craftsmen and masters of their trade. You know, Chambers Customs is another great example of uh, someone who puts their entire being into what they're making. And it shows. I mean, you look at their equipment and then you run it and it's it really is a special piece of gear. And it's that happy marriage between form and function, you know, like a Stradivarius when you reach that level. And that's just very, I have a real appreciation for that form of art. Mm -hmm. What are your methods of carry? I'm an appendix carry person. I'm tiny, which means, you know, carrying on strong side hip, I'd have to carry a very small firearm to make that work. Um, I just don't have the, the, width, I guess we could say, to pull off not printing. Uh, Even in a parka, I print like crazy strong side. So I carry cross-dominant appendix for the most part. It allows me to carry a much bigger firearm. Uh, Strong side appendix tends to print a little bit too much for me on a full-size piece, and I I prefer to carry a full-size gun if I can. What are your thoughts on off-body carry, uh, especially as it relates to women these days? 
oh man, it's a learning curve. And I see it. And then it takes me about 20 minutes with that individual and they never carry in their purse again. But, you know, let's face it. If you're wearing a little black cocktail dress, you're going to off body carry in a really nice oversized clutch, but you're going to have to off body carry. It, It is a last resort and something that requires an extreme amount of personal discipline and home firearm safety habits to achieve well, especially if you have small children in your life or you have children that come into your living space or around your purse at all. Uh, the disciplines involved in off-body carry are must be very, very rigorous and there's no room for error. And then when it comes to logistically working out of an off-body carry option, you must put in the work of practice with blue guns. So if you're going to invest in an off-body carry bag, backpack, whatever, you're going to invest in a holster that can be secured in all of the proper methods and consistent manners, then you're also going to have to invest in a blue gun of your make and model so that you can really practice this because it is more complex than people would expect and it is more challenging than people would expect. While out of the gate, you think, oh, it's just so convenient. I can just put it in my purse because we're familiar with having a purse with us. Uh, but for most women, pocketbooks are the black hole of doom where all things go to die and get lost forever. <laughs> and your firearm really can't be that thing that you have to shuffle around and get a flashlight to find. Yeah. And, you know, when someone's trying to hurt you. So, you know, unfortunately, it's where many people go right out of the gate. And then as soon as their span of consciousness gets woken up a wee bit and then they start reconsidering. I like that. Hmm. Tell us about Trigger Time TV and what you do there. Sure. Um, I'm, gosh, I'm not sure how many seasons now. It's five or six seasons I've been a part of the show and I love it. It's such an, uh, it's such a great crew. You know, Troy uh, does an amazing job. His crew does an amazing job. Uh, They run a beautiful set. They make it very, very easy to do work on camera and they have given me a lot of flexibility to do what I love to do, which is to show techniques in context, which means we've actually done a lot of filming off the range, uh, utilizing UTM equipment and blue guns in home environments and elevators and workplaces at gas stations, solving those types of problems that you would have to if you were in the real world. Sometimes it's hard to visualize this drill you're trying to work on that quote unquote you could use for self-defense and then to see it applied in the actual environment where it could be have or have to be used that's been a wonderful thing that trigger time has incorporated into the show and you know why i love being a part of it that actually sounds very cool and Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense because a lot of times you do um you know role playing and things like that in, in different kinds of training but you know, to actually see those skills employed in the real world, or even though it's scripted and whatever, but to see those things happen and to see them actually effective in the real world, I think it's hugely awesome. Absolutely. Because blue barrels are really not your couch, you know, yes. <laughs> blue barrels at the range. Yeah. You know, your imagination can only take you so far, but exactly. at the gas pump, you know, what represents the gas pump is a barrel and then a piece of cardboard for your car. Now you really are standing between the gas pump and the car and it, everything's starting to make sense about how far do I want to be away? Where am I looking? Why am I looking? It gives you that context. Yeah, definitely. Like I had done a lot of uh, intellectual thinking about, you know, gunfighting out of a car or what you do in different situations in a car. But it wasn't until I actually took a vehicle. Um, what, what was it called? Anti-carjacking course. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Petty's VCQB. It was, it was a different one, but generally the same principles and things like that. Um, it wasn't until you actually get in a vehicle and you're like, well, the thing that I thought 
is not going to ever work. This is awful. And, right. <laughs> and just watching other people do it in a, in a real vehicle at the range, uh, you know, it really kind of just changed that paradigm of my thinking. Yeah. I remember when you took that and you kept trying to, you were like, okay, so this is what you have to do now when you take your seatbelt off and you yep. draw. And I was like, all right, cool, Sean, <laughs> can we go to our office now? <laughs> And, we just spent like 30 minutes in the parking lot. <laughs> right. Just showing her how to take the seatbelt off when you, when you have to exit quickly. <laughs> That's good. That's very good. It is. Yeah. Uh, so your children, do you take them to go shooting? Do you teach them firearm safety? Oh, yes. My kids love coming to work with mom. If it was between staying home, watching cartoons and eating candy all day or coming to the range, I consider it a huge parenting win that they would prefer to come to work with me. <laughs> nice. Our home range here in Maine is Howl's Gun Shop. We have all of the owners have hunting dogs. The dogs are all over the place at the, at the store. There's kids everywhere. It's so family friendly that my children just feel very naturally at home here. And they have expressed interest in, in shooting. My daughter, when she was eight, you know, asked me, Mommy, can I, can I shoot with you? And I don't think she had time to blink. I had picked up a twenty two Smith & Wesson pistol, and I had got a range bag, ammo, eyes and ears, and we were walking into the range before she could change her mind. So she didn't have much time to reconsider, but she loved it. She absolutely loved it. And she was at a space in her head, in her heart, where she was – ready and she expressed interest, but I also acknowledged that she was emotionally mature enough to go through the process and stay focused and not be giggly and silly or act out when she felt she was being watched like many children can, even mm -hmm. teenagers. Yeah. So she was in a place in a headspace where, you know, eight years old was right for her and she has thrived and done well. She is someone that I love having in my beginners classes or my ladies nights when I have all new women who are nervous, that pale shade of green, uh, who are on the brink of tears, overwhelmed at this concept that they're going to handle a gun. And we do work in dry fire in the classroom. We transition to the range and I'll have my daughter come in and I'll set all the gear up and I'll have her load her 10 rounds. And then I will have her load and make ready. And she'll stand ready to go until I tell her what to do, two rounds straight finger, safety on, come back to compressed ready or whatever the exercise is. And she'll conduct that complete course of fire, very in tune with me and very in tune with what I'm asking her to do. And then she'll perform it. By the time she's cleared and decked the gun, they've all witnessed a now 10-year-old little girl wipe all their fears away. Nice. And she was cool, calm, and collected. And she's happy and she's smiling and she enjoys it and she can answer questions. So she has been the most phenomenal icebreaker for so many women in Southern Maine. It's fantastic. That's my son. Really. He's not a pistol shooter. He's a bolt gun boy. He loves his 22 bolt guns. I can't complain. It's actually a really great idea um, what you do with your daughter. For listeners who do have kids, what would you recommend? Like, how do they have that talk with them? And at what age? And if they do have guns in the house or something? Because I know that that's a huge concern with a lot of my students. It is. It is. And it should be. You know, I like to look at it from one of two perspectives. Either the guns came first or the kids did. One thing or the other is the new entity in your world. And if you're somebody who's always had firearms in your home, you've let, reached a level of comfort with how you've managed them until you have children in the house. 
And as soon as you have children in the house, you're putting, as soon as that baby is walked fresh out, you know, into the house for the very first time from the hospital, you've got outlet covers on everything. You've put padding on all the right corners of the glass coffee tables. It is the most baby-proofed environment, and yet you're still putting the gun on top of the fridge. So there's the the writing of that ship where you go, okay, I've got to got to develop my gun habits as my child grows so that I can meet their developmental curiosity, accessibility, interest with how I'm managing the safe storage of my equipment at all times. And it's an evolving process. But how soon do you start talking to kids? As soon as you're telling them it's not okay to stick their fingers into electrical sockets, it's time to start making it known that firearms are not something they should touch. Um, the sooner that's part of their basic knowledge of what is safe, what is unsafe, what is hot, what is cold, what can hurt them, what can't hurt them, the more benign that will be and the more natural it will be for them to recognize when they're in an environment with a gun that they shouldn't be and it's time to remove themselves from that situation. They should know what it feels like to be uncomfortable when it's unsafe and they should know how to find you and communicate that with you when they need to, which is the same way we do with drugs and alcohol. We have to teach that same level of, you can call me, I will come and get you, and I'll be proud of you for wanting to remove yourself from the situation. We need to start building that into our national conversation with our kids about safety. That's awesome. I, I want to change gears just a little bit and move from uh, talking about kids to talking about training adults and things like that. Whenever- how do you how do you talk to adults about guns? Like, Sean, <laughs> I have to, you know... <laughs> Yeah. What is this? this? All right, Sean, put it down. What is this? No. um, Whenever I talk to legit and accomplished instructors, there's always a whole lot of stuff going on on the internet about techniques. And, you know, there's, it's honestly just a lot of poop flinging. But whenever I talk to someone, I know that I, there are things that I want to talk about. Like, um, what are your thoughts on scan and assess? I know that everyone kind of trained to scan and assess and now people are kind of going away from that. And I realize a lot of that's just internet, but I'd like to actually hear your thoughts on it. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I was taught the tactical hair flip out of the gate. Yeah. And um, I realized after, you know, I didn't know any better. That's what I was taught by this ninja. And so it's got to be right, you know, because mm. they know these things. Yep. And not having long hair, it looks kind of more like whiplash for me <laughs> than a hair flip. But, you know, we roll with it. The I teach scan and assess, but I don't teach it. I teach the concept to scan and assess, and I believe in it very strongly. I teach functional situational awareness. If you just look at the action as a scan and assess, most people don't know what that means. And they're just going to like look around and then peek behind them. And all they're doing is truly a choreographed dance of swinging their head around and, you know, swiveling a little bit behind. They're not actually learning how to take in information to pick up the things that are different, that are strange, that get their attention, to call them for what they are, to retain them into their memory, and then choose the action that needs to come next. So that's what, when I teach the traditionally call it scan and assess, for me, it's an after action or it's part of the process. You are not done after you have shot. You still have work to do to regain a knowledge of your entire world. You have to retake and own your entire environment. And you can't do that if you don't actually know how to process what you see and take it in. Don't just look at it, but see it. Be able to tell me what those things were that stood out for you. So can you give me that information back? 
that's the only way that I can make sure that folks are capable of saying, all right, there's a way out. You know, there's someone that's hurt. There's someone I don't know. That one looks scary. That one's an off-duty cop. You're not teaching proactive people. You're teaching reactive people. And that that's scary because we are civilians. We're, we're not ninjas. So I teach it from a, a standpoint of this is your responsibility to make sure you can make very good decisions after the thing that was trying to hurt you can't anymore. And you're amped up and you're still scared. Uh, very, very well put. I was actually just doing some training with uh, Don Edwards from Greenline Tactical in Louisiana and uh, very, very similar mindsets. Um, and, and I'm seeing this all over the place. Uh, I've done some training in Colorado with that similar mindset. And I'm just really glad to see that that's kind of perpetuating its way through the training industry. I think, in, in my opinion, my my mm-hmm. ridiculously uninformed opinion, uh, I think what you just said is is perfect. And I think that all of our listeners will get a lot out of that. Absolutely. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about defensive employment of a firearm. Can you just run us through some of your basics for that? Sure. You better make sure you can see it first. <laughs> you got to see the problem first. <laughs> you know, we we the analogy that every if you have a hammer, every problem is a nail uh, is a very very strong one. So, your pre action and how you avoid a deadly force encounter is just as vital as that after action. You know, if you don't have to put yourself in a situation, don't. When you do have to do. Should you, hopefully never, but should you ever have to unholster your firearm and point it at another human being, you've got to be ready to live with the consequences. So while you're doing your your training and when you're working in a class with that in mind, you really need to be as emotionally connected to what you're doing as you are physically connected. Because I don't think people put enough emphasis on that when we talk about technique and, you know, the speed of your draw and, you know, safe reholster techniques. You know, you have to be familiar with where you are emotionally and what kind of input you're giving the gun from your emotional frame of mind in order to respond properly. And that's, I'm building that in more and more into what I'm teaching for the self-defense aspect, because so many women come to the table very emotionally charged because they have experienced violence. They have been the recipient of blows and fear and, you know, some very scary stuff. And they're bringing that not in a hypothetical or theoretical frame of mind. They have actual memories that they're they're bringing back. Mm-hmm. And by working with a firearm, they are reliving a lot of that. And that emotional input is very, very tangible to them. And it's becoming a, a very interesting tool to not abuse but or to manipulate, but to allow them to take control of. It's phenomenal how incredible they become when you allow them access to that emotion and how precise a shot they can be once they've harnessed it. Well put. I think these are all great reasons to do some training with you. Oh, it's fun. I have, we have, we laugh a lot. We shoot a lot. <laughs> I love it. How far, like, do you train all over the U S yes. Yep. I'm in Maine, um, between Maine, California, everything in between and uh, North and South coast as well. I would love to take a class with you. I'll have to. That would be fun. I know. I'll have to look out for your calendar. See, like, yep. when you're making your way. 2019 is almost complete online. We've had a couple of things shift around, a couple of additions in different states. So that program is about to, there's a number of them already up there, and there's a bunch more that will be added. But I will be all over the place in 2019. I'm I, Again, I'm very honored to be invited to different venues and to share that experience with a bunch of different communities. So it's fun. So what are your future plans? 
I don't know. I didn't know. If you would have asked me even three years ago if I would be doing this, I would have been like, no. So <laughs> my my goal for myself, my plans for myself in uh, 2019, I want even more solid range time with my mentors. And I will go to great lengths to make sure that I can do that, that I can get the, the private instruction from specific individuals and that I can grow my own knowledge base as much as I can this coming year. It's It's a year to not just perform more classes around the country than I ever have before, but to really build up and build me as much as I'm trying to do that for other people. Very awesome stuff. Where, where can people find all this stuff that you do online? Oh, I made it really hard. Are you ready? I'm ready. It's, it's Tatiana Whitlock.com. Oh, wow. That, I know it's rough. So <laughs> difficult. <laughs> and you're on social media and stuff. There's links to everything on your website. Yes. Yeah, it's all in there. And if you go to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it's also my name, Tatiana Whitlock. Very, very cool. We're going to, we're going to talk some more about 1911s in a minute. So you can stick around with us for a bit, right? Absolutely. All right. But before we do, we need to talk about Matador Arms. So Matador Arms, a Canadian based company selling a lot of products in the U.S. And they, they really became well known for all their products for the SKSs. And, uh, they've actually kind of branched out and done a lot more stuff. Now, I have uh, one of their Sidewinder folding stock adapters. This is not an AR-15, but it's for an AR-15 buffer tube. That's funny because it was actually mine. Oh, yeah. And then you took it. It was. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, boy. Yeah. I'll get that back. Eh, we'll see. Because it's attached to a gun. <laughs> okay. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just sign it into my books and oh, okay. voila. <laughs> Wait. FFLs can just basically steal from me. <laughs> basically. I'm just going to scratch off the cereal. Never mind. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> So their Sidewinder is really cool. Uh, you can set it up where it can fold right, left. And uh, compared to other products that are kind of similar, they're a lot less. Yeah, it comes in at, at a pretty good price. But I was just getting ready to say that my friend Aaron actually took a deer last weekend uh, with a 6.5 Creedmoor rifle that actually has a Sidewinder holding stock adapter on it. Oh, I saw the picture yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. Yes. Wasn't it? it was probably like his first deer or something. It was. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Congrats, Aaron. So if you guys go to Matador Arms and you like something, use the code GUNFUNNY10 and that gets you 10% off. All right. It is time for prank calls. Matador Arms sponsors our prank call segment. And uh, Tatiana, I'll just apologize for this in advance. It has okay. It's nothing to do with you, but I act like a complete and utter fool <laughs> as always. So here we go. It's time for prank calls with Malcolm and Gertrude. Uh, yes. Hello. My name is Regina, and I was just wondering if I could come in. And I know it's kind of weird, but could I take some pictures with firearms? Uh, yeah, it's fine. Just just uh, let us know what you're going to do, and we'll help help you out. All right. Awesome. I've just been doing a lot of dating websites, and I don't think they're taking me seriously. So I just thought if I maybe like took some pictures with some firearms, that it would like give me some hits or something. You know? Yeah. Sure. All right. Is that something that you guys do a lot? Not really. <laughs> All right. Um, and now what, what would the appropriate attire be? Because like for, for me, I was thinking like bikini or something, but that may not be appropriate. Probably not. Uh, we, we hope you come in clothed. <laughs> All right. But booty shorts are okay? Yeah. Uh, we prefer like regular shorts or jeans. I mean, we don't want anything in here to annoy the other customers. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can understand my sexuality might annoy some people. Okay. That sounds great. Uh, what time are you open today? How late? Till 6 p.m. All right. Great. Sounds good. I'll see you before then. All righty. Thanks. Yeah. Goodbye. I don't know what's wrong with me. 
I feel like I might have shaken baby syndrome or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, the good news is that that is the last of the prank calls where we ask if we can go and take pictures with guns. <laughs> yeah, because everyone was so amenable to the idea. <laughs> I know it is. It is pretty crazy. Yeah. Because th- if I owned a gun store, I'd be like, uh, no, no. no, you can't. <laughs> you can only you can only touch them if you think you're going to buy them. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I got adult <laughs> onset shaken baby syndrome. <laughs> All right, let's just quickly change the subject. I'm embarrassed for you. (laughs) I am so embarrassed. Whatever. You know who else is having a huge Cyber Monday sale? Who? Paul and Mady. Are they really? Yeah, uh, 20% off all of their P80 products. Dang. So PaulMady.com, you go there, everything that they make in-house and sell under the Palmer 80 brand is 20% off. Yep. And the discount is taken off at checkout. So if you guys don't see that immediate price change, uh, just know that once you check it out, you'll see it. Dang, that's pretty awesome. So this is a really good time to stock up. I know a lot of our listeners especially have uh, buy, been buying the frames and the slides and all that stuff. So really cool stuff. Yours, yours is done? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Very awesome. It looks sick. I love that gunmetal gray slide. I know. I love it too. Uh, so yeah, guys, go to polymer80.com. If you skip this, if you don't make it in time uh, for Cyber Monday, use the code GUNFUNNY and that gets you 10% off. All right. Awesome. Now let's uh, let's talk about some detail uh, about 1911s. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. I'm still laughing about shaken okay. baby syndrome. <laughs> My adult onset shaken baby syndrome. <laughs> That's great. All right. So Tatiana, you wanted to talk about 1911s for beginners, which I thought was really interesting. No, she, it actually, to be clear, it says 1911s as an ideal gun for beginners. Yeah. So tell us about that. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So one of the things that I have learned quite a bit of is from women we're very uh, open about sharing with you how they think pretty sure their husband set them up to fail by sending them to their first lesson with the wrong gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've seen a lot of really interesting guns come in for the brand new shooter. And, and we all know what this looks like. Don't be that guy who uh, buys the itty bitty subcompact of subcompacts because she has quote unquote tiny hands mm-hmm. and or the super lightweight itty bitty J frame because it's too simple. It's simple and you won't get confused and it can't jam. It hurts my soul when I see that coming. And it's a very awful first experience if that person is committed to, to know this is what they told me I need. So I've been, I've done quite a bit of work trying to make sure that I get the individual fitted with a firearm that's appropriate for them. That's going to have a manageable amount of oomph. That's recoil. That's its overall intimidation factor. And I've discovered, and I can't say that I'm heartbroken about this being a 1911 junkie, but that 1911s tend to be a very fantastic place to begin people when working with center fire guns. Right out of the gate, they're heavy and therefore they're stable. And if I have a Glock or a polymer frame handgun and I have a 1911 and I start that individual on the polymer frame gun and then I transition them into the 1911, you see their eyes get big, they smile, they're sticking with the 1911. Hmm. And this is a this is a true first impression. We're going to try these two very different looking guns right out of the gate and dry firing with them. They think they're going to love the polymer gun, 
But then when we live fire with them, the 1911 is where they want to be. That stability from the weight works in their favor and it's a very natural, it's a happy place. And the collective (laughs) internet gun community just scoffed so loudly that it was like a million voices crying out in pain. Do you get that? Do you get that a lot? Isn't that funny? Yeah. Isn't that great? And I don't mind. They can scoff. That's just fine. Um, if you've worked with the thousands of newbies that I have, it's an, an interesting revelation. You know, it's, it wasn't what I thought was going to happen, but you know, I happen to have a 1911 on me that day, and so let me throw this one down on the bench too and see what see what you prefer. And the resounding I prefer is the 1911, hmm. which is kind of interesting because isn't that an old guy's gun? Isn't that for the old folks? Yeah. Uh, that's what I keep hearing. You know, you, you'll definitely you, we only won a couple of world wars with these things. I mean, how good can they be? <laughs> so. You know, just saying. But in addition to that, the other benefits, I find that the grip is a very almost a universal grip for most people's hands, whether you think you have big or tiny hands, wide, shallow or deep weld palms, the angle of your thumb, are you double jointed thumb or not, all of the things that influence your ability to wrap around the grip successfully. I find that the grip angle and the geometry of a 1911 grip fits most people's hands naturally and they fall into place on the gun very naturally. So that eliminates a lot of that. I'm not sure. Am I in the right place? Shifting around of the support hand to try and figure out where it needs to be. 1911 is very conducive to achieving a natural grip right out of the gate. So I have a personal anecdote that talks about this. So my first gun was a 40 caliber Smith and Wesson M&P and I, I got it and I took it to the range a couple of times. I, I didn't know anything about anything. And I was like, well, we already know that because you bought a 40. It, yeah, actually. And I was <laughs> what like, was that about the internet cringing? <laughs> right. I know. But, you know, I went to a gun store and that was what they recommended. And it, it kind of like, I didn't know what I was looking for. I was they were like, like sure. we're having a really good sale on 40s today. Yeah, here's $500. <laughs> give me that. Uh, took it to the range and I was like, oh my God, this is just awful. I hate this thing. This is the worst thing ever. So I, I went back to the gun store and I was like, so. I mean, I had it for a couple of months and then I took it back and I was like, so I kind of hate this. Uh, what, what I want to, I want to carry and I can't carry this. So what would you recommend? And they were like, let me get you in. Let me pull you over to this case right here and show you this officer model 1911. This bad boy will fit so many <laughs> rounds. And, and, I, and me, of course, clearly being stupid and clueless, I was like, absolutely. And I put it in my hand and I was like, oh my God, this is, this, this feels great. This feels right. It feels normal. And that was my second gun. And I still have that gun to this day. And I carried that gun for two years straight. I love that gun. I shot competitions with that gun. When I got into competition, that was the gun I shot. And uh, to this day, I I love 1911s. And I just think it's so interesting because for me, it was a fantastic beginner gun. It it got me into everything that I do today. Uh, It was that it was my gateway drug. It was my marijuana of the gun world. All right, take it easy over there. Every 1911 manufacturer is going, oh, did he just say that? (laughs) Don't care. But no, I mean, if you have that, if you fall in love with a 1911 early on in your experience, you you do. You have an appreciation for what when it feels right in your hands actually means. Yeah. And that does influence your future purchases. But I also find that because the 1911 has that big, chunky mechanical safety and because it is so vital and critical that it gets utilized – You know, that one feature and component of that machine allows me to instill additional safety protocols in at a very beginner level that firearms that have a more demure mechanical safety, like the carry guns, the subcompacts that have almost like a flush to the frame safety 
don't really allow me to do very successfully. And then the beginner struggles and it's frustrating dexterity to achieve that stuff is it's not fine and gross motor skill. It's not, that is not the topic. It's, I really, I just can't reach it with my thumb or apply the right amount of pressure to depress that tiny little safety on the, the bodyguard Smith and Wesson bodyguard. Cause it's so small. So the mechanical controls of it being so big and so pronounced really do set people up to build in that, where are my sights, where's my finger, safety on, return a neutral gun to the body programming. That also translates very well. That same discipline is something we apply to carbine shooting. So it's very easy for me to take my new beginner who just had a fantastic 1911 experience and is ready to try something else. And I put this big, scary black rifle in their hands. And I tell them, you're going to do the same exact thing we just learned. Only now you've got more gun to hold on to. And those disciplines are already there. That framework in their mind is already built. And, you know, once that mastery is in place, we build in other pieces of equipment and they have a better appreciation for what they're working with. Yeah. It was just interesting when I saw you that type that into the show notes, I was like, well, that was actually my first real gun. And it kind of just made me think about exactly everything you just said. Just, you know, I was thinking about it like right now, manual safeties don't really affect me and don't bother me like they do a lot of people, because literally that's how I learned when I created those neural pathways at the very, very beginning. And I created uh, all these signals going through my brain of how to do this, this new skill, this new thing that I had started doing. I just built all that into it from the very, very get go. So when you say 1911s are the ideal gun for beginner, the internet trolling me scoffs, but the, the real person that's inside that is like, damn, that's, that's actually a really good point. makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yep. And I have gateway, gateway drugger. No, um, many, most of those individuals have a really healthy gun collection now. So if you're pro buying of guns, start people out in 1911s and they will, they, they tend not to be shy about going to the gun shop <laughs> and growing their collection. So that's, it's a nice side effect. Exactly. Clearly Nighthawk customs are, are the gold standard. Uh, in my opinion, and I think yours as well. When we talk about a 1911 for a beginner, can you offer some maybe more um, reasonably priced like beginner beginner options? Oh my gosh. I mean, Ruger makes some fantastic options. Smith & Wesson makes some fantastic options. I mean, really it comes at that point, it comes down to what is your budget and are you going to try and carry this concealed? And if you're going to try and carry concealed. I'm not going to put you into a seven inch long slide, you know, <laughs> let's be realistic here. But if it's something that's going to be just your range gun, then it does come down to budget. And there's, there's a lot of different options out there. You know, I can't, I, I have fit many different people based on their financial bandwidth to pieces of equipment. And as long as you keep them well-serviced and lubricated and, and well-kept, they're going to run nicely for you. If you, you know, you do get what you pay for it, but there are some, responsible things that work for different people. Awesome. Very well put. And uh, to our listeners out there, I would love to put out the call to you guys. Like, what do you, what do you think about that comment on uh, our Facebook or Instagram or whatever it happens to be? And just kind of let us know, send us messages, what, whatever, whatever it is. And let us know your thoughts on that, because I think it's a very interesting point and definitely worth, uh, definitely merits further discussion. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that'll do it for, for that talk. And it, Ava, is it time for, it's time for the iTunes reviews. <laughs> All right. Cool. These reviews were actually pretty funny. Yeah, these are actually great. Um, I mean, they're all great. Yes. For the uh, most part. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I just impugn the other? But these ones, like there's one specifically that I think to date has been the best one yet. It had me cracking up laughing. Uh, it actually wins. I'm going to tell you right now. It wins. That the, the, There is one of these reviews that actually wins the prizes today. 
Okay, well, let's just go ahead and okay. start reading. We'll see who's the winner. I am noobs says five stars for Shane Heroin Eyes Only. Great show. <laughs> the format is good with three to four people on at a single time. That makes it easy to hear, and there's not a huge jumble of people talking. Lots of great topics, guests, and reviews. I've made several purchases already based off of positive reviews. Ava and Sean are great hosts, and the show deserves more than five stars, even though I physically cringe on some of the prank calls. <laughs> so do we. <laughs> like so do we. today's, probably. <laughs> so bad. Uh, thank you, noobs. John in HD says five stars. Love the show. Always a good day when a new episode shows up. Enjoy the guests and the hosts interactions with each other. The prank calls are a highlight. You should do more product spotlights and reviews. Keep up the great work. All right. Thank you, John and HD. I prefer low res John personally. Mm -hmm. And James Cleaver says five stars. Brilliant performance art. Note this review may contain spoilers. Gun Funny is part of a brilliant performance art project spanning multiple podcasts. It starts with Ava, a strong, confident woman joining the We Like Shooting cast. There, she has to put up with boyish immaturity unlike she's ever seen. Although Ava is not a woman to need a white knight, Sean Heron is the only one to stand up for <laughs> Ava. He goes so far as to buy the entire Firearms Radio Network to launch a new show for Ava where he is the co-host. The characters are incredibly believable and the backstory is peppered in slowly with hints that Sean is patiently waiting for a fresh start in life while Ava is fiercely independent and reluctant to fall for someone like Sean. The chemistry is palpable and I eagerly await every episode to see how the drama unfolds. <laughs> that one's great, it's, right? It's my favorite review, I think. <laughs> So James wins. James, get in touch with us. But you, when we read that, I mean, I literally was just, I was laughing forever. It was hilarious. You win. Just get in touch with us and we'll send you out the prize pack for the reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Tough. It was tough competition for the other guys. Yeah. Cause everybody's, I mean, everyone's review is awesome. Yes. They and are. we appreciate you guys writing them. We, we absolutely do. All right. Should we wrap this thing up? Of course. All right. You wrap it up. All right, guys. So you can find us at gunfunny.com. There you'll find links to social media, uh, everywhere that our podcast is listed, iHeartRadio, iTunes, you name it, we're there. If you can't get enough of us, think about becoming a patron. Earlier today, I was just working to create a secret Santa amongst Patreons. So if you guys join in the next week, there's still time to get you into that if you'd like. Uh, what is Patreon, Sean? Patreon is like a crowdfunding type thing. If you like the show, you feel like it's worth a couple bucks a month. You can just go pledge and it's automatically deducted. And again, you get access to the Patreon only Facebook group and all kinds of prizes and options to win prizes and cool stuff like that. It's like a club that you buy your way into, but it doesn't cost very much. Yeah. And usually I'm just drunk on there telling everyone I'm going to send them cans of tuna fish. Yeah. She's like an old timey. <laughs> she's like an old old timey medical doctor. She's like, you got ghosts in your blood. You should do cocaine about. No, it. actually, they were talking shit to me. So I was like, I'm going to send you old tuna fish, and I'm going to send you old tuna fish. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All anyway. right. Anyway, thanks to our twenty five dollar patreons. Corbin. Oh. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Jeez. No, you. You're obviously super excited about it. Corbin Bonafide, Iraq veteran eight 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 Charger Arms. Ryan Morrison and John Snow. Winner is coming. Oh, and Ryan and John just recently became besties thanks to the Patreon. It's so nice when they we, just went shooting together. Yeah, I love that we have made that love connection for them and that they are now a couple. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then our king of the Patreons is 2A Jewels. Tatiana, are you familiar with 2A Jewels? I'm not. Tell me that. So uh, they make jewelry, like really, really nice jewelry, and it's caliber specific. Uh, they make bracelets, necklaces earrings and it seems to be really popular among the gun community i'm just i'm a fan i have all of their stuff really i can't get enough of it but i will say if anyone is interested definitely get your holiday orders in i just i just spoke with them 
and they are extremely swamped. So definitely get in your, your holiday orders. And they could also take like, say it was your first round that you shot or something and you want to save that casing and turn it into something memorable. You could always send them that and they'll make jewelry out of it. And it's not like the cheap jewelry where it's like gold plated and it has like a little diamond. They put it at the six o'clock to, you know, to remind you to always watch your six. So really cute stuff. You guys are interested, just check them out on Facebook, 2A Jewels. They're also on Instagram, uh, 2A Jewels as well. So you can go to patreon.com slash gunfunny to become a Patreon. Tatiana, thank you so much for being here with us. It was awesome. Yes, thank, thank you. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, we would both definitely love to train. So we're going to look at the calendar and see if you're anywhere near us anytime soon. Sounds good. All right. That's great. And again, tatianawhitlock.com. And Ava, anything else? Nope. That's it. All right. Well, let's get out of here and we'll talk to you all next week. Have a good Cyber Monday, everyone. Want to send feedback? Suggest a place to prank call? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.